0: Welcome to the Enlighten Up! Podcast. I'm Lisa Watson, and we'll be joined by my co-host Nicole Frolic and Brian Koenigberg. The Enlighten Up! Podcast is a weekly show that provides an unconventional and refreshing spin on spirituality, where three friends and weekly guests share informative, fun, and usually off-the-wall conversations. Unlike others, we provide fringe and skeptical viewpoints on all topics, because our experience has taught us that the echo chamber is a boring place from which to learn. So regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, we can promise you, you're going to find a place to fit in here. So we invite you to grab a drink and listen in on our casual, entertaining, and hopefully enlightening conversation. And enlighten Up is a self-funded podcast, so if you would like to help us to continue to be able to produce, enhance, and expand the show for our audience, then please send your support using the link in the show notes, or go to our website, lightenup.us, and check out our merchandise shop, where you can purchase merchandise that will allow you to express some spiritual humor. You may also show your support by leaving us a review on iTunes and following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thank you all so much for listening and supporting us. And now let's jump right into the episode. Hey, everyone.
1: Welcome back to the Enlighten Up podcast. I am Nicole Frolic, one of your co-hosts, and I am here with Brian. And we do have Lisa here, but she is a silent voice today. Poor thing has lost her voice. So Brian will be speaking for the both of them, (laughs) which Brian, I think. I
2: always do. You
1: always do. You love Uh, it.
2: She has a shocked look on her face.
1: (laughs) Well, we're excited today to bring back a returning guest. Well, we have Justin Deschamps with us, who is a truth seeker uh, and he studies physics, psychology, law, philosophy, and spirituality, working to weave these seemingly separate bodies of information into a holistic tapestry of of ever-expanding knowledge. Justin is a student of all and a teacher to some. He humbly seeks those who are willing to take responsibility for making themselves and the world a better place. We all concur over here. The goal of his work is to help himself and others become better truth seekers and in doing so form a community of holistically-minded individuals capable of creating world healing projects for the benefit of all life. What has been called the great work, Justin? Welcome back. How are you doing today?
3: Good, good. Thanks to have. Uh, thanks for having me back, Nicole. It's a pleasure.
1: Oh, it's so nice to have you back. You're, um, you're definitely one of the uh, one of the guests who can illustrate very logically and linear, linear, linearly, linearly, <laughs> <laughs> uh, very complex thoughts into a very simple format. So we love that.
3: Oh, great. Yep. That's, that's what I love to do for sure.
1: So how have you been? Like what's, what have you been up to lately?
3: Oh boy. Um, so much has been happening. I think the last time we spoke was, um, in like June or something of 2019. Yeah. Um, and, uh, oh, just a lot going on. Um, behind the scenes, I have a, a really big content project that I'm excited to talk about it. Actually I can talk about it now cause we've gotten the green light. So I'm going to be producing Uh, videos for the YouTube channel and the outfit Edge of Wonder. Are you familiar with that?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I am.
3: Yeah. So I'm going to get a chance to basically give like college level like course material, but in a really fun, engaging way through the platform. I'm going to have an opportunity to talk about a lot of really cool things. And the first series is going to be the ultimate plan of the Draco Reptilians. Oh, It has a kind of snazzy, sensational title, but really it's going to get into like DNA, science, ascension, how consciousness relates to like servicing others, um, all sorts of really fascinating topics. So that's been happening. And um, in conjunction with that, just been, you know, doing the inner work, doing the consciousness exploration making it an exercise of trying to understand myself and the world and just bring out what I find in the process. So, uh, yeah, all great stuff.
0: Well,
1: congratulations to the Edge of Wonder gig. That's awesome. And also, uh, this idea of taking responsibility for making yourself a better person is a big deal. And I think, I I don't know, was it you who said this or someone else? But... um, People aren't as interested in that as they are in the stuff outside of them.
3: (laughs) Yes, that's uh, something I've definitely said and observed.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I really love the article that you uh, posted about a couple of weeks ago on your website, Stillness in the Storm, called A Short History, the Emotional and Intellectual Plague of Suppressed Authenticity, the Abandoned Inner Child, Um, But also with a happy ending, uh, which it definitely did. Let's let's go into that article because um, we're huge fans of talking about the inner child here at Enlighten Up. And uh, we know that there's just a lot of um, healing that can occur. And there's so much that our inner child dictates in our reality that we don't even realize
3: Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's nothing could be more important to human life and the quality of life than forming a good relationship with your inner child, I think.
1: So what kind of work have you done with your own inner child? And how has that transformed your ability to live more authentically?
3: I would say um, about a couple years ago, this was uh, 2017. I was doing a lot more research into psychology, specifically developmental psychology, because I had read this book um, called The Origins of War and Child Abuse, which is done by a psychohistorian, Lloyd de Massey. And what he basically did, using um, a kind of Reikian and Freudian psychological perspective, he looked back through history to see how much of society and conflicts and the quality of life is directly related to how we raise our children. And what he was able to prove is that basically almost every aspect of uh, what we might call mental illness, whether it's at a personal level or a societal level, comes down to how we raise our kids. And the, the inner being that is created as a result of social interactions. And so I that really shook me to my foundations when I read the book. And I realized that I needed to get my head wrapped around this a lot better if I wanted to try to, you know, be a a good voice for healing and whatnot in the world. And so um, several years later, to skip ahead, I discovered that in order to have a healthy relationship with yourself, you really need to to get to know your inner child. And what I discovered uh, was that a lot of the behavior and beliefs and choices that I had made in my life, uh, which I was influenced by culture and mass media and things had basically caused me to abandon my inner child. And I had, I had what I think happens to a lot of people. You, you go through the early stages of life, you know, childhood, teenagehood, uh, collegehood, if we want to call it that. And those are pretty tumultuous times. And then in around, you know, 25, uh, all the way up to like 35 or so, there's a kind of stabilization that takes place and you kind of get a little more secure in who you are. But that's not necessarily healthy. And what I've observed, knowing what I know now is that, you know, basically, people just get good at coping with their abandoned inner child. And so what I did is I decided I really need to dive in and look at the blocks that I created for myself, penetrate them, and then unearth whatever toxicity has been sequestered and quarantined by my conscious mind. And in the act of doing so, really form a better relationship with my inner child. And I started that work, um, let's see, in mid-2018. And I made a lot of progress. But as anybody who's done the inner child work knows, it is not easy. It's, uh, I like to use the analogy, it's, it's kind of like trying to learn how to be an Olympic runner while trying to regrow legs you just broke.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is an awesome analogy. <laughs> it really <laughs> is. It's that's so spot on. Um yeah, the the inner child is terrifying for a lot of people, you know, to to reconnect with and discover because, you know, what I've recently discovered, and actually many people who've written into me have discovered after watching one of my raw and real videos where I shared a memory that surfaced from 35 years ago that I had repressed that had, you know, I had no idea that it had happened my whole entire life since the, since the initial point, the origin point and realizing what had happened and how that affected all, not just all of my relationships, but my um, inability to feel safe in all all aspects of my life. And there are so many people who are starting to remember things that they've completely blacked out from their memory. And that's scary sometimes when you think about it. You're like, what am I going to find if I go in there?
3: Right. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, I I think you're spot on. One of the things that tends to happen as you do this work is it's, it's very similar. I mean, I'm not a, a parent, but, you know, I've, I've been around children and, and whatnot to know this, that, you know, if you neglect a child long enough, they're going to become a little crazy and toxic and not so nice to be around. And, you can imagine, you know, taking your inner child and throwing it in the attic for twenty years and then you finally go up afterwards and you're like, Hey, how's it going? It's not gonna be a happy person. It's <laughs> no, <it's> crazy. Not.
1: <laughs> no, you better have a serious supply of like cookies and <laughs>
2: <Exactly>. <laughs> cookies aren't enough.
1: No, no, they aren't. So right. this article that you've written on mm-hmm. authenticity, it it's a big deal. And I think, you know what a lot of people I've noticed when they're coming to me for coaching is they're trying to understand who they actually are in this world. So you want to go into what you've written in that article and extrapolate on it a little bit more about, um, where and how did we lose this ability to be authentic and instead favor our false sense of self?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to do this generally first so i'm going to use the term inner child which is a kind of catch all term to refer to several different things and then we can maybe unpack what the inner child is like at a mechanical psychological level um so basically what happened is that um various social engineers and people who don't have such good intentions wanted to reform culture and they wanted to reform culture because the culture culture is like the the womb with which we grow and rear our personality. So when you're trying to figure out how to act in the world, then you look to your parents, you look to your local community, you look to mass media to try to give you some guidance. And that question of how do you act is so fundamental to being in life itself that your entire brain, and consciousness at a physical level and at etheric level, I would argue, is basically designed to answer that one question. And so, how do you act? Well, when you're very young, the 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 authentic aspect of you is just kind of built in. You're not really capable of being inauthentic at very early ages. Um, and at a very early age, you because depending on your your culture and the family you're raised in. Your ability to be authentic might be suppressed because mommy and daddy need you to act a certain way for them. And so um, about 150, 200 years ago in the um, 1800s, um, this idea of romanticism took over. And romanticism, I would argue, is itself a, a kind of deep state, dark occult attempt to manipulate culture, which you can get into later if you want. But for now, let's just accept the fact that There was a major shift in culture and this romantic idea is is that if you want to display a polite behavior around you, then you need to act politely. You need to uh, become a polite person. And that politeness, if that's introduced too early to a child, it suppresses their inner nature. So just to define what, what I mean by politeness, I mean... Just good social grace, but specifically to get the really hard level definition, there's a reason why politeness and social grace is so important. Is because you have hardwired systems in your brain that measure your social status. And so if you don't learn how to express your needs and your passions and things like this in a socially coherent way, in a way that is respectful to other people, then you lose social status. And then you get punished neurologically for loss of social status. You'll literally become neurotic. You'll have negative emotions.
1: Really? What what part? Okay. How does that happen on a biological level? Do you know or?
3: I, I do. Yeah. So um, in the brain specifically, it's called the limbic system. So it's the midbrain. There's whole, that limbic system that manages a whole bunch of different things. Specifically, there's a system in there um, called the ACS, which is attached to the amygdala that's designed to assess social status so it does so mainly through faces but it also does it using tone of voice and it has the ability to learn too so a really good example of this is um when you're young you're 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 an infant okay you are like we're just born you don't really know how to gauge whether or not mommy or daddy loves you or not other than be, uh, body language and so there's a part of your brain that's literally designed to assess whether or not mommy and daddy are happy based on if they're smiling at you. And so if you're not being smiled at enough as a young child, and that triggers the uh, ACS, which then triggers the amygdala. And what that does is it floods your brain with alert hormones and chemicals that are designed to make you feel like inadequate, like you did something wrong. And you better damn well figure out what you did wrong and change that or mommy and daddy aren't going to love you, which means you're not going to have food and nurturing, which means you're going to die. In, in neuro-linguistic programming there, there is a,
2: you know, a statistic that, that says like what 60, 70% of all communication is, is the nonverbal, that the, the actual verbal communication is 10, 15% of how you perceive something. And it's, and it's all the nonverbal physical, cues, body language uh, and tone that that trigger you. You know how how you actually perceive what's being what's happening. Not even what's being said, but what's happening.
3: Precisely right. So you nailed it. So there's these very ancient systems. I mean, the systems that we're talking about. They use what's called the serotonergic and dopaminergic uh, systems. So they they're designed to use serotonin and dopamine to affect your consciousness and the more dopamine and serotonin you have, the more positive emotion experience, the less pain you feel, the less neurotic you feel, the less self conscious you feel, et cetera, et cetera. So to, um, to kind of tie a bow on the question you asked me, the, um, the biology of these systems is that you're supposed to feel socially accepted at a very early age. If mommy and daddy don't make you feel loved, because they're not smiling and not at you or they're not physically holding you and tending to your needs, then you interpret that as there's something wrong with you. And so your brain f- feeds you negative emotions. It feeds you alert hormones designed to self-correct. That's what the process is designed to do. So neurologically, this is an ancient system. It's not just in humans. It's in all mammals. Uh, when you do something that goes against the herd, then you experience social anxiety because what's happening is your brain is saying you need to change the behavior set that you use to express yourself so that you can have social acceptance and then you won't have the problem. So
1: So does that mean that a lot of people who are, who their feelings of inadequacy, lack of self-love is all initiated from, especially when they're not getting physical affection?
3: Precisely. Yeah. That if, if you're early childhood process, I call it the external pregnancy. So zero to nine months or zero to a year. If that process is disturbed in any way, which it is in almost all people in the modern age, then you're going to have some level of persistent social anxiety, low self-worth, all sorts of varying degrees of personality issues and mental illness.
1: How interesting.
3: You know, Lisa's
2: been reading yeah. this this book called The Conscious Parent by... Uh probably gonna destroy her name dr Shafali saberi hmm. and uh she she's just she, she's she says it's an incredible book but not just for parents that it, it, it literally has more it's like a handbook on on life she 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 says that it's 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 a great book, even if you're not a parent. It gives you such an understanding of our own unconsciousness, where it stems from and how to choose conscious living. And it's, it's, it's about, you know, it's, it's, it's a way for you to parent your inner child because that's the conscious parenting doesn't have to be, you know, your own child. It's, it's like you were saying, Justin, you know,
3: you don't have kids, but you still need to be a conscious parent to yourself. Yeah, precisely. I couldn't agree more and learn how to minister to the inner child of other people. I mean, you know, just just to skip ahead a little bit, if you can learn how to minister to your inner child and the inner child of all people, because they're fundamentally the same type of a template, your ability to, you know, have social grace and manage good relations in your life, have good connections, familial, all sorts of things, just like go through the roof. So, um, yeah, essential life skills. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the, the inner child, um, to get back to our analogy here, when, you, when that process is disturbed, you know, you, you end up having personality issues for many reasons. Um, you're, you learn how to interface with the unknown and to manage your emotions socially through your parents. And so if they don't, if they physically just don't smile at you enough or they don't hold you enough. Or when you have needs, they shame you or they neglect you. Or, you know, one of the things that was told my mother when she was having me um, in the 80s was that the best way to handle a, a child is to let them cry it out in the crib alone, which is like one of the worst things you can do developmentally for the child. So um, all, that initial phase will create the initial what I would call primary abandonment complex, or in other words, the part of your brain that says, how much can I trust the people in my life? If you have a disturbed uh, external pregnancy, then you will always have some part of you that doubts your social connections with other people. And social connection doubting with other people is reciprocally a, uh, the, the um, problem of doubting yourself. So it's both things. They happen both sides of the same coin. And so later, when you become a toddler, that manifests because now all that internal stuff that you were experiencing as an infant now gets expressed outwardly when you're in the toddler phase and that toddler phase, as we know, it's pretty, you know, messy, depending on your parenting. Terrible Uh, twos. Exactly. You know, and rightfully so you're, when you're a toddler, you don't necessarily have the ability to think about politeness or you shouldn't. And so you should be extremely authentic. You know, you should just let it all hang out. And mommy and daddy should let you do that, but also create a space to socialize you and teach you how to, you know, understand that your actions and behaviors affect the inner childs of other people. And if they use an emotional resonance parenting technique, which I'm a big fan of, then the child will learn how to minister to uh, the inner child of others. And there won't be this kind of like emotional combativeness that happens. So Lisa, Lisa just wrote down that that non-vaginal
2: births also can have uh, psychological effects on children's.
3: Yes, precisely. Yeah, there's a whole, yeah, it's a, that's a big part of it for sure. Um, interestingly enough, a, a child's ability to clamp down on the nipple, if the child is not born through the vaginal cavity or if they're born through a C-section, they often have an inability to clamp down um, on the nipple.
2: And there are certainly exceptions to the rule. My daughter certainly. didn't have any problem breastfeeding and she was, she was not born vaginally. But, but then again, as a teenager, she accused me of horrible things. So, you know, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe there's something to it.
1: <laughs> right. I, I like, I don't know where to segue off of that one. <laughs>
3: Well, I, I guess I'll just finish. Let me just finish answering your question, then we can jump to something else. So so the, the, the thing I was talking about in the article is this. When you are forced to be polite and, to, and when you're socialized too early in your development, it creates an inauthentic self. You have to create a different version of yourself, an inauthentic ego, we might say, because the ego is the social self. And what happens is now the ego becomes the enemy of the true self. Because think about it. If mommy and daddy will only love you because you're being raised in a behavioral modification household, when you're being polite, when you've cleaned your room, when you've cleaned your plate, when you've smiled, when XYZ grandmama comes over, whatever the heck the situation is, then you have to push your authentic self down to get the social acceptance you need from mommy and daddy. And because the systems that are at work during that process are incredibly powerful, the same, the same level of negative emotion you're going to experience when your amygdala is triggered through social abandonment is the same stress you're going to feel if you're being physically tortured. That's how powerful these systems are.
1: Wow. So it's kind of like, I just kind of got a vision of you know um, trying to socialize children too early. It's almost like turning them into a child's version of a Stepford wife.
3: Mm. Great analogy, yeah, absolutely. That's it right there.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. Can you talk a little bit about the emotional resonance technique that you said you're a big fan of? Like if because I'm sure we've got tons of parents who are listening to this, but also anyone who wants to work with their own inner child or may have children in the future. What is a an example of an emotional resonance technique?
3: Sure. Um, well, generally speaking, what it is is that um, it's the idea that you're You want to achieve emotional resonance in the sense that you make the other person feel like they've been heard at an inner child level. And once that has been established, uh, contractually, we call that a meeting of the minds. So once there's a coherence between your inner child and the other person's inner child, it makes everything else about dealing with conflict resolution that much easier. And so as a parent, what that would look like is Uh, Let's say, you know, you've got a two or three-year-old on your hands. They're really excitable. You're feeding them and they throw all the food that you just carefully prepared right on the ground. And so what do you do? Well, if you're using emotional resonance technique, then you allow your inner child to authentically express to your child what you feel. And, you know, you have to do that carefully. You're not trying to manipulate the child, but you're just trying to let them know how you feel. and. It's important to realize that this, this requires a little uh, background work, too. So I'm, I'll talk about that in a minute. But what happens is that the, if your, uh, your child has been uh, reared in this condition, then they will see that what they did caused you emotional distress that will trigger their empathy response. So then they'll start to feel what you feel. And as a result, they will self-correct and often become remorseful. And that will be a much better way to socialize the child. Um, and it just as a follow-up point to that, that it requires in the beginning a very high level of intimate connection. So when the child is born, you want to have as much naked skin-to-skin contact as humanly possible with the child, and you use that as a method of dealing with any type of emotional issues, um, which there's a lot to understand there, but that, that's the basic idea.
1: Wow. So basically, most people... Um, don't even know who their inner child is so how like there's you know as a parent trying to talk from that place can be really foreign and like not even know where to start that's why this inner child work is so important to um, stopping this cycle of emotional um, trauma basically <laughs> that ends up looping over and over in your subconscious while it creates your reality as you grow up.
3: Absolutely. I mean, one phrase that, it's a biblical phrase, but I think it's so apropos, the sins of the fathers shall be visited upon the sons. And it's this idea that if all the stuff and crap that you refuse to heal in yourself will now become baggage and trauma for your children to deal with.
1: Huh. That's... that's big.
2: Maybe that's what that actually means. You know, that's that's one thing that I am realizing about Christianity because what they teach us is, you know, ninety nine point nine percent wrong, bull bullshit. Yeah. Um, but if you a, a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking about something. You know, we Lisa and I were having a conversation, or I was having a conversation with with one of my business associates, and and it, it the idea that this something that I learned in the bible and i looked at it through a completely different lens it makes sense and when when you think about what you just said you know we we hear that passage when we're growing up and we're thinking you know because we think literally and that's the problem with interpreting you know something that was written 2000 years ago we're interpreting something the sins of the fa- father you know shall be given you know to the to the to the child and what if that's what was meant the whole time that it was this inner child relationship, this, you know, that there's this higher self inner child and, you know, ego or lower self, you know, as it, as it were. And what if that's what it was about? And when, when you, when you think about it that way,
3: it's, it's mind blowing. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It's, I, I mean, just is a side note on that. I, in my experience, I kind of abandoned all religion and spirituality in my teens, um, Kind of just threw the baby out with the bathwater, and then when I was I woke up uh, about ten years ago. So I, I realized I really need to bring some of those babies back into the house, and you know I reevaluated my stance on a lot of that stuff. So um. Lisa just
2: wrote wrote something down, so I'll do my best to channel my inner Lisa <laughs> um, a- a- along this along this same line. She wrote down the meek shall inherit the earth, and she underlined meek and replaced it with inner child, Mm. you know, the inner child shall inherit the earth. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah,
1: That's great, Lisa. Mm -hmm. I'm curious when we're, when we're thinking about um, becoming more authentic in our life, in how we show up and how we live our day to day, what are some of the um, blocks that, are different between men and women that they face? Like what are some of the the things that men especially um, have to deal with uh, through returning to authenticity? And what are some of the things that women have to deal with?
3: Oh, great question. Um, Okay. Let me, in order to answer that, let me lay out a little bit about like what the inner child actually is. And I think it'll make what I'm about to say a lot more sense. Um. Okay, so if we like unpack what the inner child is cuz I in the beginning I mentioned that's kind of like a catch-all term. In my understanding this is what the inner child is. The inner child is first, it's the instincts and inherited proclivities of your body. So your body is itself a community of cells and your spirit is like the governor of those cells. So if you think about it, it's like it's a group of people in a sense. They have their own tastes, their own desires, their own needs. And those That body itself has a whole bunch of needs and instincts it was programmed for. One of them is social attachment. So you have, like like I was saying, there's a whole part of your brain and body that's designed to constantly assess your status, your social status. And if you refuse to work with that biological need, then that creates an antagonistic inner child. And so your conscious mind is the spirit, that's the governor. It is indwelling the body, and then its choices, the way that you actually think about life and you value life, which is a personal thing, determines the character and quality of the inner child that gets created. So in this sense, you might think of the inner child as the birth of your conscious mind and the body that you've inherited, the feminine body, so the masculine consciousness and the feminine receptive body. And so that means that everybody's inner child has two components. It's, there's the hardwired part that's kind of the same for everybody, like everybody's body needs water. It needs food. It needs physical intimacy. And then there's uh, a bifurcation because of body dimorphism, meaning that you have mat men and women. You have a feminine and a masculine. And so if you, ha- you are a man, your inner child is characterized by manly qualities, to put it simply. And if you're a woman, then your inner child is characterized by feminine qualities. And so one of the challenges of trying to heal your inner child, especially in the modern age, is that, the, again, the, the, the way that it's created is the interaction of your conscious mind, which is somewhat fluid and dynamic, with the hardwired aspect of your biology Okay. And then there's another element, which is the etheric of the spirit, but we won't necessarily talk too much about that because I don't want to confuse too many people. But the point is, is that everybody's inner child is has a, a trunk or a root system that is pretty much the same, but as the tree grows, it becomes differentiated. And so one of the challenges that men and women have to face is that your tr- part of you, the inauthentic self, the false self is the part of you created to interact with the world. And so if you, you know, what, this is something I, I su- speak to as a good example, women are plagued by princess programming and Disney programming. <laughs> okay. So that means that, and men too, but my, I'm just going to focus on women for the moment. There's whole aspects of your femininity, biologically and spiritually that are denied with the cultural self that is created for you as a template via Disney programming, which means that if you try to embody the Disney ideal self that is projected onto you, you'll be denying your own biology and your spirit, and it will create problems in your relationships because you don't have the right tools because you don't know what the hell you're doing. You know, it's like, it's like getting a, a car and then not knowing how to drive it properly. It's obviously going to cause you stress and problems. And so, you know, I would say at a feminine and masculine level, there's, you know, and this is probably going to open up a whole discussion, but, you know, there's certain, uh, let's say, I'm going to call them superpowers, because frankly, that's what they are. There's certain superpowers that men and women come into this world with, but the cultural self that we are reared in does not acknowledge them. For example, A woman's power to influence the masculine in all people is through her nurturing capacity. And if she doesn't learn how to nurture the good qualities in her partner or the people around her, then the antagonistic false animal self will come online and will use bitterness, venom, and hatred and rejection as a way to nag the person into compliance. You know, conversely with men, you have the strong masculine order making aspect which is supposed to be using merit and honor and duty and persuasion to consensually offer wisdom to those that come into the masculine's path. And if the masculine is plagued by inauthentic programming, then it will use a tyrannical, bad boy, you know, harsh self version to smash people into compliance. So hopefully that answered the question a little
1: bit. Uh, Yeah, I've witnessed that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I witness that um, a lot. It's definitely applicable, I think, to them. I think most people have seen that. Um, I, I mean, I, I look at some of my um, family or friends relationships, and I definitely see the nag in the woman. And it's painful. It's like listening to nails on a chalkboard. I feel horrible for the man who has to listen to it. But then I've also on the flip side, seeing the pushiness or aggressiveness of, um, a man who's just basically doesn't feel like he's being heard properly, you know, or understood.
3: Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, and I think, you know, ultimately uh, the solution the the silver lining to all this is we have the ability to learn how to communicate with our inner child's again. And I think, you know, it has to start from within, like you're, you're not going to be the master, uh, at talking to other people and interacting with other people until you figured out what your inner child is because your inner child is going to pull the strings behind you and you're not even going to know it. And this is what happens is that you're, you know, we're raised in an inauthentic world. You, you don't form a good authenticity with your own inner child, so you suppress your own instincts when you feel a negative emotion instead of giving it a space to express that and hear its complaints Then instead you suppress it and you never listen to it. And then one day, the inner child, which is part of your brain, it's the limbic system, right? It takes over your conscious mind. It says, screw you, I'm coming in and I'm getting my needs met. And then that's when people have psychotic breaks and mental breakdowns and they get developed schizophrenia and all these things. So
1: Interesting. So I was just thinking about how, you know, we talk, this obviously is a spiritual podcast. We talk about the awakening um, process. And I can see how a lot of people get awakened when their inner child is like, this is enough. Um, we need to change the way we're living because I can't do this anymore. And I feel like a lot of people are starting to become awakened through the um, incessant, um, we'll call it like nagging or calling upon you to be heard, seen, and remembered.
3: Yeah, precisely. I mean, I I would go as far as to say that, you know, mental illness, especially like bipolar uh, mania or depression, is itself the fact that you as the conscious mind, the governor of your own body, have not been an honorable governor, which means you haven't listened to the complaints and grievances of the people, your own being. And then what happens is you go through depressive cycles because the the part of you you're suppressing eventually just pushes through and forces your hand. And I'm sure everybody's experienced this. You know, you, you have this moment where it's like you just can't get this thought out of your head. This like nagging, incessant thought to do whatever, maybe to go out drinking with your friends or you know indulge in some depressive thing. You know, it, it invades your mind as like a um, like a nagging. Um, I'm trying the words escape me right now but everybody's experienced this to some degree and I would say that that is an indication that there's some inner work to do and that is actually the step it's a, a I would argue it's a door that you can walk through to begin the self-healing process because the bottom line is at a cultural level I would argue we do not as a culture acknowledge the phases of personality growth that need to happen spiritually in order for you to grow and mature properly and so effectively as far as I can tell, what's happening is the personality that you created when you were three and four years old to help you manage the fact that you had to suppress your own inner child is the same immature, primitive personality most people are walking around with for the rest of their lives. And so they end up sacrificing opportunities for authenticity to try to hold on to that little specter of stability. And in the process, they end up, you know, causing a lot of problems for themselves individually and personally and or uh, socially and things like this. I, I liked your imagery of the the governor,
1: and, yeah, the, and the people. I agree. that's very good that that is like crystal clear that lands very easily, so I think a lot of people will get that. so if as a as a man, Justin, how did you connect with your inner child? like how did you start the process?
3: Oh boy. Um, well, I first had to admit that I didn't have it all figured out. Um, I think, you know, everybody handles this to different, different ways, but there are like kind of patterns that form. Um, so what I'm getting at here is that I, a few years ago, I, you know, I had had my awakening. I had got an awakening experience is itself a kind of personality reconstruction phase. And so I had gone through a lot of Uh, reassessing of my life, but I never really penetrated deep layers. It was all about, you know, conspiracies and things like this and rediscovering cures for cancer and all that great stuff. All good. Don't get me wrong. But then I, at around 2017, I just didn't feel satisfied. I felt dissatisfied. And frankly, that was my inner child being like, okay, yeah, you've got a lot of stuff figured out, but you're just getting started, homie. And so, you know, it was, It took me time to really self-reflect and break down the barriers I had put up to myself, which was, you know, uh, you don't have it all figured out. You might have somewhat of emotional stability because for me back then, you know, I was a fairly emotionally stable guy. I would review pretty intense information like pedo gate and, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff like this. And I didn't really feel a whole lot of negative emotions as a result. And so I was like, "Oh, I must be like really spiritually mastered." And boy, was I wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know, I I just went in within, and I started to what. Honestly, what happened? And I'll just un, be a little vulnerable here. I had gone through a relationship where um, it was it was my first attempt to have a relationship where with the idea that a family would come out as a result. Hmm. And so it was taking, uh, aspects of my early childhood, these, I, mean, I don't know about you guys, but as a kid, I would, you know, I would have crushes on girls and I would thinking about, you know, being married and having kids and what that family life was like. And, you know, in later in my teenage years, dating was like so traumatic for me that I was just like, you know what, screw all of that. And I kind of just like left all those dreams by the wayside. And my dating romantic life was kind of in tam- shambles afterwards. And so i kind of allowed myself to go through a a a mirror moment where i'm like you don't really got it figured out you think you're doing all this stuff you think you're adept you think you're the the monk in the cave who's doing all these great things and maybe you are but is that really because you're the master is it because you've just walked away from your own trauma and baggage and so i had to get real with myself and when i did that i decided to start analyzing my own consciousness and looking for places where i had justified blocking myself and as soon as I started to do that, I realized there was like, yeah, almost everywhere I looked, there was something that I was suppressing in favor of some false ideal. I was trying to either present to myself or present to the world. I'm not saying I was being authentic to the world, but you know, internally there was a dissonance between the inner child, the deeper feeling me and the, the conscious me. And so at, at around, after I had this relationship, you know, I, Losing the relationship is, for men in particular, is extremely intense because men have hardwired circuits for pair bonding and devotion, despite what you might hear from third wave feminism. And so men tend to have incredibly deep, dark moments after breaking up with a girl that they have very strong attachment to. True that. Yeah, which I'm sure all the guys are probably like, yep, yep, that sounds about right. So. (laughs) So what, what it did for me is it took this inner child that I had pushed into the attic 35 years ago and finally brought it downstairs. But the inner child was a mess. It was psychotic. It was sociopathic. It was crazy. It was toxic. It had years of grievances that I had never actually listened to, like a massive list. And so I just had to slowly start going through all of these and like, okay, what, have I done to block myself? How have I done this? And, you know, now I'm at a point where I I feel like I've reached the bottom of all of those blocks. And I've just probably in the last couple months or so, have a much uh, more authentic internal world where as soon as I feel something come up in myself, as much as I can, I try to put the brakes on whatever I'm doing. I'll go into meditation. And I'll kind of I literally I kind of visualize like a courtroom. Except, this, you know, it's not as dry as a courtroom. It's more like a courtroom where there's angels and God in the room instead of like, you know, dry, dusty, holistic judges. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, okay, inner child, your floor is yours. Everybody's attention's on you. I'm here, the conscious self, the higher self. That's the judge right there. You've got a jury of your peers here, all of the past versions of me. You, The floor is yours. Go ahead and share whatever needs to be shared. And I would just allow that child to express itself and hear it out. And, you know, specifically, I'll, I'll just get off my soapbox here in a second. Specifically, what I would do is the inner child would have all sorts of desires. And desires are themselves are, spec- are articulated plans of action to deal with deeper instincts and values. And so the inner child work is you want to take those instincts and values that have been expressed as a very specific desire, which is often pretty toxic, especially if it's a damaged inner child. Like, oh, my girlfriend broke up with me. My inner child wants to like rage hate her online because I've been hurt. Okay, inner child, that's not what we're going to do, but I hear you. You know What you really want is you feel denied that the, that this person you put into a role of trust and authenticity for you betrayed your trust, and I get that. And secretly, what it really is is that you don't hate them. You actually love them, and you wish that you could still have a trust level of relationship where your desire to love and minister to them could find purchase in their soul. But don't worry, we're not going to squelch that desire. That desire is a valid desire, but we're going to take that and we're going to, excuse me, express it in a new desire that is more balanced. And that's, for me, that's what the inner work is all about. It's about taking these damaged inner child desires, disentangling them, creating more holistic, socially beneficial, authentic, ways of expressing that need and now i become a better governor to the people of my own being
1: wow thank you so much for for sharing part of like your your process that's really interesting i've never heard anyone take their inner child into a courtroom before <laughs> that's so uh, i was like you know that is justin he would do that <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah <laughs> exactly. I, I um, my inner child user, usually shows up in the forest. We're in the forest. Cause I, I, I growing up, I had a big forest in my backyard and it was my happy place. So we usually go there to um, play. And then she eventually starts talking to me and um, you know, we just let, I just let it kind of flow casually. And then I may ask her a question or she'll ask me a question and just kind of let it flow from there. Sometimes I find The play aspect um, takes away uh, from some of the seriousness or relieves the need for a specific answer in the moment, Mm -hmm. and um, gets more into the um, the actual being of a child. Right, right is important.
3: And let me ask you, actually, do you find that after you go through that exercise? Do you have like a deep level of kind of like relaxation and relief?
1: Oh, a hundred percent. I was in meditation last night with my inner child and we were kind of going through a book from my Akashic records that um, she really wants me to learn from. And uh, she was passing me a bunch of of knowledge and, and some clues that I ended up writing down afterwards. But when we were finished, she was so happy she had the biggest grin. She was running around in, running around me in circles. She was laughing. <laughs> she just was so happy. And to see her act that way, the more I connect with her, I know that that's going to be coming through me, you know, in more of my um, relations and uh, just how I show up for myself. So It was just, it's really cool to see. It's really, it's nice to see it all unfold that way. But of course, it's not always like that. Um, You know, sometimes there's tears, sometimes there's fear. Um, Sometimes I see her crying into her knees, you know, and uh, you just have to, I think the nurturing aspect is how I just, I kind of think about like, how do I wish I had been held or spoken to when I was that age? And so I kind of come from that place of compassion. And speak to her that way
3: right right yeah I, I didn't get that as a kid yeah, and you didn't get that as a child necessarily
1: mm-mm, mm-mm. no I had a very um, I had a very stoic father and my mother was not that emotional um, which I kind of understand why just because I know a bit of her childhood history but Uh, Yeah, that we just weren't a very touchy-feely family, which I, for me, public displays of affection with all of my boyfriends in the past was a huge hurdle for me to get over. It made me very uncomfortable and I didn't understand why, even though I wanted it, but I also hated it. And so, uh, yeah, there wasn't a lot of physical nurturing.
3: Right. Yeah, that makes perfect sense because at a certain level- the way, like we were talking about earlier, the way that you learn to act around other people, especially at an intimate relationship level, is the, through your parents. And so, if your parents, what I call the microculture, if the microculture didn't give you a way to express your desire for affection in a way that was okay, then you won't necessarily feel okay in your own personal relationships later.
1: Yeah, Does that makes mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. So I kind of want to take this conversation a little somewhere different but but okay. still on on topic. Um and I know you and I we kind of chatted a bit about this. But one of the things I realized or a message that I received while um I think back in December doing one of my videos is that it's so important for us to do the inner child work because it's also healing the collective unconscious when it comes to child abuse. And of course, now that I'm talking about my own personal um, uh, sexual child abuse on um, my YouTube channel and through my uh, raw and real videos, I've had a lot more people reach out to me. And I've also a lot of, I would say, there is a much higher percentage of my clients who have suffered sexual abuse as a child than not. And so of course I started researching um pedophilia and sexual chi- um s- child sex trafficking and of course we can see that this is starting to become more and more in at least uh more independent news not necessarily on mainstream yet uh of these um rings getting taken down what is the I guess the question I'd like to start off with is there are obviously um We, you know, we all kind of understand that there's like a deep state or a um, a group of elitists who kind of run this world, so to speak, and they're all um, into sexual um, relations with kids, like pedophilia. What do they know about breaking down the child um, to further their, let's just for lack of a better word, call it an agenda?
3: Well, as far as I can tell, they have mastered the ability to create a false self that so totally and completely destroys the authentic self that effectively what happens is the false self takes over and the inner child and the soul are kind of imprisoned in the false self. And interestingly enough, that if they do that successfully, then what can actually happen um, is, and this is my my belief based on a lot of research that uh, either another soul or discarnate entities or ghost beings or etheric parasites can actually come in and hijack the the body and actually take over basically. And so um, monarch mind control programming, they use that type of a system to basically, you know, achieve that effect. So I would say that I'll, Okay. One of the reasons why pedophilia is so prevalent is because it's a, it is itself a maladaptive behavior to a traumatized childhood. And the sexual process, if it's disturbed or it comes online too quickly, then it creates an identification of sex with infantileness. And so there's there's a reason why, and if I can just go into it a little bit, um, Your brain is designed to unpack the sexual circuits when you're going through puberty. And so what actually happens is when you go through puberty, it's like a snapshot of your physical body gets associated with your sexual um, values. And so if you take a person before they've gone through puberty and you activate those sexual circuits... Then what tends to happen is they start to identify infanthood with the ideal sexual archetype physically, and so that's why a lot of people who are abused sexually tend to it's like extremely high likelihood it's something like eighty nine percent are likely to also become abusers themselves although not always, and so um, if you if you that goes to a really extreme level then um, then that can just become uh just like a pattern and so a lot of the elite they do this to themselves they have a culture that does it to themselves because it for various reasons it makes people in the the elite families easier to control through their devious sexual practices and habits things like this so yeah
1: would you say then that you, you just said that if you are abused is a high likelihood that you would become an abuser, but not necessarily. However, if you're an abuser, is it pretty much a given that you were then abused? Most certainly.
3: Most likely, um, although it's not a guaranteed thing, but the mechanism itself is activation of your sexual process. So that that doesn't necessarily have to happen in abuse. These days it can happen because you're just shown sexually explicit things. And then that triggers the biological circuits that recognize that. And they said, Oh, look, there's some sexual stuff happening over there. Let's turn those systems online.
1: Oh, so like all of this stuff that we're seeing right now, the sexualization shown to, for instance, to kids in libraries, you know, um, like, uh, seeing that you've got, um, transgenders reading um stories to children and you know dressed in such a sexually explicit way and stripping in front of them like i don't understand how we got here how we as a society think it's okay for anyone to be stripping in front of children whether you're a man a woman or a transgender like i don't get it
3: yeah yeah you hit the nail on the head i mean it yeah, yeah. There's a whole lot to unpack in, as far as why that happens, but I mean, the, the basic idea is that yes, when you show children sexually explicit things, then it triggers that circuitry, but but it's not that alone. What, As far as I can tell, there's a whole cascade of boxes that need to be checked in order for a person to develop a pedophilia proclivity. One of them is an abandonment complex, so you are denied intimacy at a very deep level, and so because we're so hardwired for intimacy, I don't necessarily mean sexually, I just mean physical intimacy and contact with another person at a deep level. Um, we're so hardwired for that, that if you never get it early on in life, then your brain will start to associate intimacy with sexuality. And if, you know, you start to see as a child, like think about it, you, you, were, you weren't raised by your parents, your, your parents' cell phone and their tablet raised you which means you never had physical intimacy for more than like a handful of times, which means all of those circuits that are associated to make you feel secure about a more organic level of physical intimacy start to get hijacked because what is the other way? I mean, just think about it. Like the modern person, when are they in the most physical contact with another human being in the modern world? It's when they're knocking boots. It's when they're having sex. And so your brain is like, well, I need to be in physical contact with other human beings on a regular basis that isn't sexual. But since you don't get that, then the brains like through neuroplasticity, the brain says, Well, okay, then I might as I must need to get this through sex. And so at a very early age, if all of those factors are are in place, then you don't even need to have a sexual experience as a young child. You just need to be exposed to the right things and have the right conditions in place, and that seed of pedophilia will be in the consciousness. Is any of that? Oh yeah, resident. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, totally. Well, let's end on a light note. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, what are your beliefs of How much we can affect the collective unconscious through our own work on our inner child, and what do you think is available to the healing of the collective uh, from that?
3: Yeah, great question. I I think you know, I know we're talking about some pretty dark stuff here, but the good news is the ship can be turned around very quickly. Um, Really, it comes down to a couple principles. Uh, First of all, the, the romantic ideal is a cultural ideal. It says that everybody else is doing things perfect. You're the problem. You're something's wrong with you and you can't do what you want. And so, you know, you're going to take on a, a kind of like the world is fine, but I'm broken perspective. So you need to abandon that. Nobody's perfect. Everybody's just as broken as you are. So don't put like unrealistic measures of your personal success as a a way to deal with, you know, the dating world or things like this, you know, when you're looking for a soulmate, when you're looking to interact with a romantic partner, just recognize that they're doing the best they can that, that, uh, just like you are and that there's no need to judge the success based off of some Hollywood variant. I would say that's a really big one. Um, another thing is consciousness is alchemical, not surgical. So what I mean by that is nobody's perfect. It's the the way consciousness healing works, the way inner child healing works. It's, it's not that you look at your inner child and you surgically remove the things you don't like. That's not the way it works. It's an alchemical process, which means whatever is there is becomes the substance of what will be used to make you better. So it's a ho- holistic love type of approach. That's the way alchemy works. Alchemy at a very deep principle level is you're not adding or removing anything you're taking the goodness of what's there and you're enhancing it through your processes and through your work and so i use a a kind of total love unconditional self love perspective guided by truth and natural law so in other words you when your inner child is raging at you and telling you to do all sorts of crazy things listen to it love it try to create a space where it can feel heard but then you mediate or manage those desires along trust lines. So for example, yeah, you might want to scratch up your ex-girlfriend's car because she cheated <laughs> on you, you know. But you're not going to do it because to do so would dishonor her rights. And so instead, you're going to find a better way to discharge that outlet. Um, yeah.
2: How do you know to- the difference between your, your inner child's tantrum and your
3: ego? Well, the... Um, the inner child, it uses uh, brain circuits that are d- are designed to basically alert you to instinctual mechanisms. So an example, when you are hungry and you notice that you're hungry, your brain will produce almost automatically a fa- some fantasy about some food that you want or something like that. And so it's the same brain circuit your inner child uses. And so what is really it's about is it's about... Um, You have to reclaim the, um, the choice point in your own consciousness. So this is, yeah, I'll try to explain this quickly. So there's a, there's a part of us that gets stuck on autopilot because of the stressful lives we live in, which is that, you know, you're all of these things that you need to do to maintain your life. Like you got to get up, you got to eat food, you got to go to work, you got to do all this, it can become automated. And so once it's automated, it's like the instinct triggers for you to get up and you just let it happen, but there's no choice point. And so the inner child work is especially using a lot of meditation. So you want to go into um, Vipassana meditation. We'll do this is really good practice that will help a lot. You can also do conscious breathing meditation. So this is the what you're doing. When you find yourself being... Uh, when you find uh, your inner child offering you things to do, like instincts, um, impulses, things like this, just sit with it for a moment. Just breathe through it, and you just observe it. And what that does, is it's a muscle, so it doesn't happen automatically, but it actually reclaims that ability to have a choice point. And so now your conscience, which is the higher self version of your inner child, can come in as the mediator and be like, I know shadow self damaged inner child that you want me to key my girlfriend's car but my conscience says that's probably not the best thing to do and then the conscious mind the soul now gets to decide between those two choices what it actually wants to do so that's that's what my personal technique of kind of differentiating between the inner child and you know your higher aspects and um and so yeah i'd say that you know the 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 punchline to all this is that Listen, if you're like most people, your inner child has been suppressed for most of your life. You have to slowly start to nurture and love it. And when you go up to the attic, it's going to throw things at the door. It's going to scream. It's going to yell at you. It might even be pissed that you're even looking at it. And you just got to start that slow healing work. And in the process of doing that healing work, you're going to disturb yourself. You're you're not going to feel right. You're not going to feel normal because you're not. Everything's changing about you, and you got to be patient with that process and loving and really take the time for self-care. One, uh, one last thing I'll say uh, is that stress hinders this whole process. You need time and space. you got to get into a playful mind state. So there's two states neurologically. There's stress and survival mode, and there's play and thriving. And so the inner child works happens in play mode. It does not happen in stress mode and so you try to to actually create that space for yourself as much as possible and you will do the healing it's just about consistency don't don't get uh discouraged because you started your inner child work and after a week you're not superman already you know it takes (sighs) years. often consistent effort it's like wandering around in the dark looking for tools you didn't even know were in there and then when you find them you have to figure out what the hell they are and what you're working on so it takes time there's multiple layers and so just be patient.
1: Yeah, and and of course there's progress. It there there will be progress. It's just you're not going to reach, you know, the the end all all in one go. Uh those are great points and I re- specifically like the idea of making sure that when you are wanting to work with your inner child that you're giving that space and you're going into more of a playful time or or stillness or quiet space not a stressful um survival mode space. For me, differentiating the ego and the inner child is that the ego tends to not want to do the work (laughs) the ego will convince you like no you're fine don't don't worry about that you don't need to go tend to your inner child you don't um it's convincing you that you're okay that you you've got everything under control that's to me like the ego voice Mm -hmm. it it, Mm -hmm. it convinces you to avoid the inner child.
3: Right. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more because as far as I can tell, the ego is like your external self. And think about it. You if you need to maintain consistency with your ego because that's the thing you use to relate to other people. And so if you, your ego is going to be like, no, 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 don't change anything. Because then if you change yourself, now you're not going to have the good relationship you need with the people around you. So.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Anything, anything fear based. <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, this was a great chat. I, I, of course, love having you back on the show. And thank you so much for all of the uh, information that you've shared here. You've definitely left a lot to unpack. And I think many of our our listeners will really enjoy listening to this probably a couple of times. There's great information there. Uh, do you have anything going on or anything you want to promote to the audience? Besides your Edge of Wonder, uh, new stuff coming up?
3: Yeah. Um- yeah. Well, first I just want to say thank you so much for having me back on. And it's really a joy and a pleasure to talk about these things, which I don't get too often to talk about. So, um, and, uh, yeah, uh, well definitely check out, uh, stillness in the There's a lot of cool things going there. I've got multiple different projects and things that are happening. Um, so you can see a lot of the, uh, work that I'll be doing and promoting in the future will be on that site. And, um, Just keep your eyes open because there's a lot of amazing things happening this year. We didn't necessarily talk too much about big events, but as far as I can tell, this year is going to be huge in a big way. So buckle up. Don't get too crazy. Make sure you're having plenty of time with your inner child because it's going to be a fun year.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) It definitely is. Um, Thanks so much for coming on the show, Justin, and to our audience, if you're also interested in understanding how to work with your inner child. The book that Lisa and Brian mentioned, Conscious Parenting, is a great book to pick up. We'll leave all of the links to um, that Justin just talked about as well as the link for that book if you're interested in purchasing it. And uh, thanks again, everyone, for showing up this week. We loved uh, having you here with us and we'll be back with you again next week. Bye.
0: Thank you all for joining our show. We appreciate you tuning in and supporting us. If any of you have any questions you would like answered on the show or any guests that you would like to hear on our show, please email that information to us at info at enlightenup.us or send us a voice message using the Anchor app. There's a super cool feature on there that allows you to send us a message or ask us a question with a touch of a button right from the app. And please continue to support us by following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you haven't checked out Nicole's channel on YouTube yet, head on over there for some more insight from her, or you can visit her website inflexibleme.com, where you can book a personal coaching session or a tarot reading, watch some of her most informative videos, or you can sign up for her newsletter. And if you're interested in some light language healing, head to my YouTube channel, lisaloveslove.com, or send me an email to lisa at lisaloveslove.com to inquire about your own personal reading. Thank you again for joining us and supporting us, and we'll be back with you all next week.